Well, we open our Bibles this morning to uh, Acts chapter 1 as a reference place. You know, one of the things about um, topical preaching rather than expositional or exegetical preaching is that you're all over the Bible. <laughs> so you have a launching point and then you kind of move around a little bit. Um, before uh, we begin the message this morning, while you're turning there, I wanted to share a testimony with you that I had uh, shared this morning with the 8 o'clock service, and that is uh, just how God has graciously been caring for me. I know that uh, many of you have been praying, and uh, two weeks ago today I had one of those uh, trans-ischemic attacks many stroke episodes that uh, knocked out my left side for about 15 minutes as the 8 o'clock service was beginning. And uh, that was uh, quite a dramatic moment for those that were uh, in the 8 o'clock service. But uh, I want you to know that for the last two weeks I have had no episodes. Uh, completely clear. Um, in addition to that, uh, the next uh, Monday after that, or Tuesday, I believe it was, I went for some uh, special testing. There's a, there's a new test that uh, will determine if a person is resistant to aspirin anticoagulation. They had uh, put in a tissue valve in my heart and, and a Dacron uh, graft for my aorta in the hopes that I would never have to be on Coumadin. The idea was that aspirin alone would be sufficient. However, 3 to 5% of the population are resistant to aspirin as an anticoagulant. And I happen to be uh, in, the, in an extreme category of one of those 3 to 5%. Uh, they found when they tested my blood with the aspirin uh, as I was normally taking it, that the aspirin was having no effect whatsoever. It was giving me zero protection. And the amazing thing about that is, since my surgery about five months ago, I've had more than 50 of those uh, TIA episodes, and it is purely the grace of God that they all dissolved and were trans-ischemic and did not become a, a full-blown permanent stroke. Um, I am so grateful for his watch care because it could have been a very, very different story. And I'm just thankful for that. But not to be outdone uh, in God's protection, I had an MRI this week and uh, it uh, evaluated whether or not there had been any permanent damage from these uh, cerebral events. And there is no damage and all that five months of uh, of hazard. So uh, I am just very, very grateful to the Lord, and I thank you for your prayers, but God is a faithful God. So I knew you would want to know that, and I thank you for praying. Well, speaking of prayer, uh, we're going to continue this morning on the theme of, in our keys to spiritual development, the importance of corporate Prayer. Last week, we talked about the importance of personal prayer, and I stressed the idea that it is impossible to have any relationship with another person without communication. 
I mean, if you don't talk, uh, if you don't communicate in any way, if you don't know what someone else is thinking, feeling, experiencing, uh, if they don't tell you uh, what their dreams, hopes, aspirations, all of those kinds of things that we share with one another that helps us to know each other and build a relationship, you can't have a relationship. You have to have communication in order to have any kind of connection in a relationship. And in order to have a relationship with God, you have to have communication. You have to be talking with Him. And you have to be hearing from Him. I realize that sometimes people find that a bit of a strange notion. And they, you know, they're wondering, do I mean uh, talking out loud, hearing a voice come out of the closet or a refrigerator or something like that? And uh, no, that, that's another kind of problem, by the way. But um, I, I'm talking about having a sense that God is communicating with you, either through the scriptures or through thoughts that he puts in your mind or through just the awareness of his presence. Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. And they know, they know me. They know who I am because of that communication. We need to have that communication if we're going to have a relationship with God. But more than that, we have to have a, more than a personal relationship. We also have a corporate relationship. Personal prayer is largely between God and me. But corporate prayer is between God and His body, the church, as we come together to communicate with Him and to talk with Him about the broad uh, needs of the kingdom and the church and His plans and goals and vision. And it's important for us to be involved not only in personal prayer as a part of the discipline of our lives, but also to be involved in corporate prayer. Now, I want to give a disclaimer right at the very beginning because no sooner does a preacher begin to talk about corporate prayer than everybody goes on a guilt trip about the Wednesday night prayer meeting. You're just positive that this sermon is going to be a pastoral spanking about not attending Wednesday night prayer. And as soon as I say that, uh, you know, everybody gets their defenses up and they tune out and they stop listening. And that is not what I'm here for this morning. My goal is not to make you feel guilty. My goal is to open your mind and your heart to the idea that corporate prayer is a part of our spiritual discipline that builds maturity. And I realize that in our culture, with the kind of jobs that we have and the schedules that we have and the commutes and shift work and all of those kinds of things, that to find one time in the week when you can say everybody has to come at this time is, is really unrealistic. And so I'm not haranguing anyone this morning because you're not showing up on Wednesday night at 7 o'clock. But what I want to underscore is that it is important that you find some time during the week when you and other believers can gather together for the purpose of praying together. It could be in your small group. It could be um, over coffee. It could be in, in someone's living room at some point in time. Uh, people have suggested all kinds of alternative times. You know, why don't we have four prayer meetings a week? And we can have one at 6 o'clock on Sunday morning. 
How many of you would like to sign up for that one? 6 a.m. on Sunday? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I know. <laughs> uh, a lot of people aren't working at 6 a.m., I will admit, so that might be a good opportunity. But not everyone is wired that way either. So you see my point. Uh, it, it's not so much when it is that you are involved in some way in praying together with other members of the body of Christ, because there are special, uh, unique features of corporate prayer that we cannot experience just in personal prayer. And I want to look at some of those this morning, and I I will tell you, I have a six-point outline, okay? And you know I cannot get through a six-point outline uh, in the next uh, 25 minutes. And neither did I in the 8 o'clock service. We got through points 1 and 2. So don't get nervous if it's another 15 minutes and I'm not done with point 1. I'm going to just kind of take my time moving through these concepts. Because if we come back next week and finish up some more of them, uh, that'll be just as well too. In Acts chapter 1, beginning in verse 12, the scripture says, After Jesus was taken up from them and kind of disappeared uh, into the heavens, that they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is, Peter and John and James and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James the son of Alphaeus and Simon the zealot and Judas the son of James. These all with one mind, were continually devoting themselves to prayer, along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. In fact, as we read further in the Scripture, we find that there were a 120 of them that were meeting in this upper room for the purpose of prayer. And literally, the church was born... In a prayer meeting, I have a, since I'm not going to get to my conclusion this morning, let me read you a couple of quotes from my conclusion. Uh, the primary work of the people of God is prayer. Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But I have appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. Therefore, whatever you ask in my name, it will be done for you that you can bear fruit. The church was born in a prayer meeting, and prayer is the primary work of the people of God. Armin Gesswein, who was a great uh, prayer warrior and a great teacher on the subject of prayer, made this comment. He said, until you have prayed, you can do nothing. Once you have prayed, there is nothing you cannot do. And literally, that's true. Because Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. But also, uh, God says, I will show you great and mighty things which you have not imagined, which you can't even conceive of, because all power is given unto Him in heaven and on earth. And when we engage in prayer, the power of God There is nothing that God cannot accomplish. And so Jesus instructed his disciples 
Go back, go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise from the Father. And they did that in the course of a corporate prayer meeting. When we meet for corporate prayer, the purpose and focus of that time of prayer is primarily for the church and the kingdom of God. This is not to say that God is not interested in our personal needs when we gather in a group. In fact, the scripture says, is there anyone sick among you? Let that person call for the elders of the church. Let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick. The Lord will raise him up. If he's committed any sins, they'll be forgiven him. Therefore, pray one for another and confess your faults to one another that you can be healed. Clearly, James is speaking of a corporate environment, particularly where the elders have come together to pray for someone who is sick. It's obvious at other times that the church gathered for prayer. When Peter was in prison, they gathered for prayer for the purpose of interceding to God on Peter's behalf. Lord, we need you to let Peter out of this situation. We need a miracle. We need Peter back. But in a sense, that was also with a kingdom perspective, because he was so essential uh, to the development of the church in Jerusalem. But corporate prayer primarily is concerned with the kingdom of God and with his concerns for the church and the, the development of the body of Christ. Jesus died for you and me. That's true. But he died for the church. He died to redeem the church. And his goal is that at the end of the age, when it's all wrapped up, that we would appear with him at the marriage supper of the Lamb, and there would be in that company of, of those present, the bride of Christ, people from every tongue and tribe and nation. God is on a mission. You know, He has declared He loves the world. And He has given a mission to His people. Go therefore into all the world and proclaim the gospel. That we have a responsibility to share the message of Jesus Christ around the world. With the view that He will reclaim from every tongue and tribe and nation some who will turn in faith to Jesus Christ and be representative of lost humanity whom He has redeemed from the fire, as it were, and brought together and adorned beautifully as His bride. God has a heart and a passion for people throughout the world to come to know Him and be represented eternally in His family and in His presence. And friends, I want to tell you that people who have as their heart God's heart are people who enjoy the greatest intimacy with God. You've, many of you have raised children, you have children, and, uh, you know, when, when they're little, uh, Pretty much their life 
orients around, give me, give me, give me. <laughs> they have needs, and uh, pretty much they need you to meet their needs. Uh, early on, that's quite legitimate. A, a baby needs 100% of parental-focused attention. They can't do anything for themselves. And then as they grow and, you know, begin to develop some ideas and wants and wishes, it's not long before you take them to the store and, I want this, I want this, give me that, you know, and unless you can kind of teach that out of them one way or another, I won't venture into options at this point, but unless you can teach that out of them, you know, kids kind of grow up self-centered. But isn't it a delight when they come to the age where they start to take an interest in the needs of the family, or they start to take an interest in the goals of their parents. They start to see their parents as people and not just resources, you know. And they begin to show that they understand and recognize that their parents are people too with dreams. And don't you find that those of you that, are, that have had the privilege of experiencing that, some kids never get there, if even if they're 50 years old. But don't you find that you feel close in heart to those family members that begin to treasure and respect your values and your goals? And you can't help that. That's a natural affection that, that goes beyond simply the relationship, it goes into the friendship aspect of the maturing process. And with God, it's the same way. Some people get offended when you say something like that, because God loves and cares for all of you, but He is especially close to those of you who have as your focus His passion. When you care about the things God cares about, and it becomes your heartbeat to, to with Him, long for what He wants, then you are truly walking together. You are truly on the path together. And God is pleased to reveal Himself and to draw you close in that relationship. The church is urged to come together to consider the passion and the heart of God in the fulfillment of our mission. Paul, for example, says to the Thessalonians, pray for us that the Word of the Lord will spread rapidly. Paul is asking the church the church at Thessalonica. And you know, the interesting thing about that church is they were a church that was in poverty. They had great need. They did not have a lot to offer in terms of financial support. But what they could do is they could pray. And Paul coveted that prayer. He said, when you come together, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly. Do you know this morning how important it is for us to pray that as the gospel is preached, that it would spread rapidly? I think, I, I think of Adoniram Judson, who, who went to Burma uh, many, many years ago. 
And according to the historical record, he was there for 40 years before there was one person who professed faith in Jesus Christ. Can you imagine spending four decades of your life invested in communicating the gospel message and year after year after year after year seeing no converts. But today, there's a vibrant church in what is now called Myanmar. Ask Ron about that. He can give you some stories of the people of God in Myanmar who love the Lord and are living for His purposes. Because someone years ago tilled the soil. You know, we have a responsibility to pray for those that go. Because sometimes it can be difficult. And we need to pave the way through intercession that God will open doors, that the Word will spread rapidly. Because sometimes it's very tough going. I received a letter from one of our uh, missionary couples this past week or so. A man who grew up in our church here, and uh, he came to visit not very long ago with his new bride and shared the mission that God had put on their hearts, and they are uh, now waiting for visas in hope and desire of uh, going into a uh, a closed-access country. I'm being vague because this will end up on the Internet. I don't even want to mention names. But uh, the fact is that they're waiting for God to open the doors to a nation that is closed to the gospel and will not permit missionaries. Uh, And they're going in as professionals in another capacity. And their desire is to be salt and light in a dark place. To live the testimony of Jesus Christ and to proclaim Him. Who is going to pray for them? Who takes their interest to heart. Who is going to lift them up consistently before the Lord? You know, it's easy to forget people that are not in front of our face. We, we can come to a prayer meeting and someone can say, you know, pray for me, I have this need. Okay, they're sitting there. But who will pray for the one whom we have not seen for a year and isn't in front of our face? And what are their needs? And how do we know how to pray for them? But you know who knows what they need? God knows what they need. If we are willing to spend the time in His presence to lift those people before Him, and even sometimes say, Lord, I'm available to You. Show me how to pray. And as we gather together and pray for the spreading of the Gospel and for those who bear His name... God will open our eyes and our understanding to that kind of thing. I think about when, um, when Dan, uh, also uh, part of our church family, even though uh, his wife is the one who grew up among us, um, you know, when he makes trips back to that country where they served and goes into some very difficult places, do we realize that his life is literally at risk? Every time he makes a trip, his life is on the line. They kill people in those places. And who holds them up? 
who prays for them, who are the faithful intercessors. And Paul urged the Colossians uh, to pray for open doors for a gospel witness. You know, sometimes we need to be praying that God will even uh, open a whole new territory and that He will give opportunity to send people and to bring a gospel witness where Jesus has not been heard. But besides that work of the kingdom around the world, did you know there's a great work that needs to be done right here in McHenry? As you know, I meet with a group of pastors that represent the evangelical churches of our community for the most part. They're not all represented, but many of them are. And these are the the congregations in McHenry that have historically communicated the gospel of Jesus Christ as as we are uh, embracing it, as we believe it. The message of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. And as we meet together, do you know most of the congregations of that nature in McHenry are only about 50 years old or younger? Some of them are just a very little bit older. This one, our church, is a little bit older. But when you, when you look at them across the board, we're in that kind of half century mark. And do you realize that for the last 30 years, None of the congregations in McHenry have shown any significant growth. None of them. Despite the fact that the population of this town has more than doubled since I've been here. And yet, none of the churches are showing any kind of significant growth. It's kind of a roller coaster graph. But when it's all said and done, there's very little growth. And to be sure, other congregations have planted satellite churches around our community. And I'm not preaching sour grapes this morning, but I'm telling you very truthfully that by and large, many of the people who are filling those satellite congregations are people that have left the churches historically in McHenry. In other words, they're not new believers. They're not people coming to faith in Christ for the first time who have no church background. They're people who got tired of the circuit. And they saw an opportunity to go to to another chance. And they moved around. I'm not criticizing anyone. I'm just trying to look analytically at the picture. We are failing to reach McHenry with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And we are not seeing any kind of significant impact in the lives of people who have no church affiliation. Approximately 20% of our community, if you just take the attendance figures in the congregations, approximately 70% uh, identify themselves as Roman Catholic, and another 20 or so percent, or another 15, no, I'm sorry, 5% identify themselves as evangelicals, and another 4 or 5% as mainline denominations, and we're left with about 20% of people who claim zero church affiliation in this community. And that's about 4,000 people that have no church, no faith, No relationship with Jesus Christ. 
And we are not seeing them impacted with the gospel. That should be a concern to us. It should be the kind of thing that when we gather corporately for prayer, we need to remember that God loves them. And I want to tell you very honestly, many of them don't look like us. They don't act like us. They don't spend their leisure time like we do. They have other interests that are very foreign to many of us. But God loves them. And they need to know Jesus Christ. A dear friend sat in my office this past week, just dropped by, saw my car out there, dropped by to see me. Came in and we had a, we had a great visit. He's a man I just can't help but love. I just, I just really like him. But he said to me, I'm so unhappy. I am so unhappy. I can't figure out any good reason for living. Except it's just better than dying. And he said, sometimes I look forward to that. And he said, I wish I could find peace. And I wish I could find faith. I wish I had faith like you have. I'm just so unhappy. Now, he's probably not the first candidate that you would pick out on the street to invite to church. But he's hungry for Jesus. He's hungry for Jesus. And he needs someone to love him and accept him just where he is. And you know... I can't whip out a four spiritual laws and slam it at him and say, well, here's what you need. Let me take you through the four spiritual laws. Because he didn't get where he is overnight. And he's probably not going to get out of that overnight. And he doesn't need a pat answer. He needs to be loved. And I need to pray until the Holy Spirit awakens faith in his heart. What are we doing to see the lost come to faith in Jesus Christ? That is part of the ministry of corporate prayer. You know, it's also very fascinating when we come together for prayer in the corporate sense that Jesus is uniquely present. If you consider Matthew chapter 18, the immediate context of Matthew 18 is trouble with a brother, a brother who's been sinning. And Jesus says, if you, if you find someone, you know, go to him. Uh, have a conversation. I could preach four or five messages just on that segment of the passage. We don't do that very well either. But he says, go to him and, and have a conversation. And if that doesn't work, take somebody with you. And if that doesn't work... Share it with the church, but do everything you can to, to, to bring this one back into the fold, back into the family. And then Jesus kind of diverts a little bit, but, but that's the immediate context. And then he diverts just a little bit to a general statement. And he makes this comment. He says, for whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. Verb tenses are pretty important in that verse. 
Whatever you bind on earth will have been bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth will have been loosed in heaven. And whenever two or three of you have come together in my name, I will be there in your midst. And when you are in agreement in prayer as touching anything, it will be done for you. That's a powerful passage. Most of us look at that and scratch our heads and say, what in the world does that mean? It doesn't work for me. I get two or three people together and we agree on something and nothing happens. I've asked for a lot of things with other people praying with me and it hasn't come to pass. I'm confused. What does, what does this passage mean? What's Jesus talking about? Well, don't forget who God is. And He is a loving Heavenly Father, as well as the God of the universe. And how many of you would give your children everything they asked for as they were growing up? Or even now, if they're not grown up? You know, just whatever they want, okay, you can have it, I'm your dad, here it is. Do you think that would be disaster? I think it would be disaster. For one thing, kids don't know what they need. Um, And it's our responsibility not to give them certain things because it's only going to damage them. We have a responsibility to give them only those things that will benefit them. And God is very much the same way. He's not going to give us stuff that's going to damage us. He's very particular to give us those things that are going to be good for us. So when Jesus makes the statement in John 15, whatever you ask in my name, it will be done for you, it's within the context of what precedes that. If you abide in me. And my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish. Jesus can safely say, I will give you whatever you ask, if you meet the criteria. Because if you're abiding in Him, that implies that intimate, tight relationship. And if you are listening to the words of God, and you have God's mission as your heartbeat, then He can safely say, you can ask. But going back to Matthew 18 in the context of the church, first of all, we recognize that coming together in Jesus' name also means in His authority, and it implies that relationship is there, and God is going to respond according to His will. But the idea of the passage is that when we come together in the name of Jesus, we are going to more easily discern His will. Whenever two or three of you are agreed as touching something, does that mean that you kind of get together in a conspiracy? Let's all get together and ask God for this. No, that's not what it's saying. What it's actually saying is, let's get together and hear what God has to say. How many of you have had the experience of working something out in your mind that you thought you needed and you've very carefully constructed an argument 
that justifies your desire for this thing. There's a word for that. It's called rationalization. And you've constructed a very careful argument uh, to explain why you need what you want. And you have been asking God for that thing. And, and you haven't gotten it. And perhaps you get disappointed. Perhaps you get irritated or whatever. Or maybe you just give up. But some years down the road, you look back and you say, Boy, I'm glad God didn't give me that. I was so messed up. I, I, I had no idea what I really wanted or needed. Have you ever had that experience? Maybe you've had that experience. You, hindsight is twenty twenty. you know. The fact of the matter is, you and I, as individuals, can do a pretty good job of self-deception. But if you come together with two or three or four in a prayer meeting, and Jesus is meeting with you, and you begin to pray over a matter. And as you pray, an idea, an answer, a direction begins to take shape. Have you been in a prayer meeting where someone has started to pray something out and you say, I was thinking that. And someone else says, that was just exactly what was on my mind. Without talking to one another, you have begun to hear from God. And you find that you're in agreement. And now you can pray with boldness. Because God is revealing His will. You may have different agendas. You may have different motives. You may have different backgrounds. You may have different personalities. But when you all are sensing the same direction from God, you are in agreement. That's what the Scripture is talking about. And frankly, that requires adequate time to listen. So many times we come to God with answers instead of questions. We say, Lord, do this, do this, do this. And what we need to say is, Lord, here's the problem. What do you want to do about it? And now I'm going to wait. Until I hear something from you. And when we've gathered together, Jesus says, I will be there. And when you pray about these things, I will be listening. And as you come to agreement concerning my mind, my purposes, my will, and you claim those things in my name, then whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. God will honor that. And whatever you loose will be released. What kinds of things do you bind and loose? You bind the powers of darkness. You bind the devil. You bind the opposition to the gospel. You release the power of the Holy Spirit. You pray doors to be opened. God gives you great victory. And there's that opportunity in prayer to see the work of God move forward. He is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think when we come together in His name in a way that can never quite match up when we pray individually. Well, my time is out this morning, and I'm just about on target.
for the 8 o'clock service. But I want to give you something to think about this week. Whenever you're with other believers, and remember what I told you last week? This is an important spiritual principle. If you haven't learned it, write it down somewhere. If the devil can't keep you from it, he'll beat you to death with it. You know what I'm saying? If the devil cannot keep you from doing the will and direction of God, then he'll give you an unholy zeal that will wear you out with the idea that you give up in exhaustion. Remember me telling you, you know, when I started memorizing Scripture, uh, I was following the Navigator method, and I figured if ordinary people could memorize two verses a week, I should be able to remember two, remember two a day or ten a week or whatever. There's no faster way to uh, abort a Bible memory program than to bite off more than you can chew. And the devil just loves that kind of stuff. So, so here's my counsel. When you come together, don't set aside two hours to have a corporate meeting. Take 15 minutes out of your small group. Or get a group of people together and say, for at least 15 minutes, we're just going to pray. And we're going to ask God what He wants to do. And when you, and when you uh, come to that moment when you're going to pray this way, give it to God. Say something like, Lord, we invite you to be present. We are here right now to do your business. And we invite you to be present. And we want to hear what's on your mind. What do you want us to pray about? Now, if you really want to know, God will reveal something to one of you. Something will come to your heart. Something will come to your mind. And as you begin to pray about that, God will give others direction and guidance in the praying. Don't be surprised if it takes several minutes. We get so frustrated, we don't know what to do. If it's been silent for 15 seconds, seems like an eternity. 30 seconds, oh my goodness, a minute. Who's going to say something? You don't have to say anything. Hear somebody snoring, just give them an elbow. Just wait and see what God says. Because He will be faithful. If you want to know what's on his heart, he'll tell you, and he'll show you how to pray. And corporate prayer is essential for our spiritual development. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. I pray that it would encourage us, that we would learn not only how to pray in our closet, but that we would learn how to pray in the upper room, that we would come together for the purpose of seeing your kingdom advance and the church of Jesus Christ strengthened. It's in his name that we pray. Amen.